Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 15th, 2023, we continue our new series titled Jonah, When God Says Go. Today's sermon, Prayer Inside a Fish, will be taught to us by Pastor Joe Infranco out of Jonah chapter 2. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. Remember, just as the Lord came to Jonah and called him to go, Jesus Christ came to you and to me and commanded you and me to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, to get out of your comfort zone. Whether it's a minor trip to Nineveh or a major trip to Nineveh, you must go. The command of scripture is abundantly clear. The call upon our hearts, the call upon our vision to follow Jesus is going to put you into the middle of danger. It's going to put you into a place that you do not want to be. It is not comfortable, but you must go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and set people free from the bondage of their sin. Show them the mercy of God. Prayer from inside a fish a really big fish. Remember last week, Pastor Jeff talked about how Jonah got the command to go to Nineveh. Now from the part of Israel he was in, that would have been going east and kind of northeast. And instead of going east, Jonah decided he would go west. He wanted to go to Tarshish, which would be Spain, the the farthest place that anybody knew. No one had crossed the Atlantic as far as we know. So in other words, if God wants me to go as far as I can go this way, I'm going as far as I can the other way. And when that happened, uh, Jonah boarded a ship. He went down the bottom of it. He was sleeping and a great storm came. The, 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 The mariners on the ship knew something was up. It was a really fierce storm. They ended up drawing lots and the lot fell to Jonah, meaning they were trying to find out who had done something here. Jonah said, it's me, I've been disobeying the God of Israel. And throw me overboard, things will be okay. Well, they didn't want to, they were compassionate, but Jonah said, there's no other way. And so they threw him into the water and miraculously the storm stopped. Pastor Jeff spoke on this last week. I love the focus he had, that we all have our Nineveh, a big Nineveh, a small Nineveh, But now Jonah was in the water. And the lesson of this, as we know from Psalm 139, we can't run from the presence of God. He is everywhere. Where can I hide from your presence, David said. And so uh, I just think of this as well. Jeff mentioned last week that one of his kids once asked him, does God see everything? Like, is he watching me all the time? And he said, yes, he is. The same way he was watching Jonah. One of my kids asked me that once also. And uh, I remembered something I heard an old pastor say, and I thought, wow, that's good. I might use that someday. And that was my opportunity. And I said to this child of mine, yep, God, is, God sees everything you do. He's watching you all the time. But that's because he loves you so much, he can't take his eyes off of you. Now, Jonah sees, uh, Jonah is thrown in the water. God sees everything that we do. He sees Jonah's disobedience, but he still loves Jonah. He doesn't minimize the disobedience. And once Jonah uh, is in the water, we read 
that there was a great fish that God prepared. It's almost like it was specially made for this occasion. And uh, let's just stop there and examine that for a moment. You know, typically people, for whatever reason, think of a whale, I guess, because they're big. I looked on the internet for the fun of it. It's filled with stories about different types of whales, the diameter of their jaws, their digestive system, and they all reach the same conclusion. It's impossible to live inside a whale. Okay, it's not a whale. You know, the Hebrew is interesting. This dagadal would be like, not just a fish, a monstrous, probably the best way to capture it would be a sea monster. If you've ever seen any of those uh, Jurassic World movies, or kind of this, some giant thing that jumps out of the water, it might have been something like that, or something beyond what we can imagine. But now, few stories provoke more skepticism than this one, and that's because people are just convinced that they um, that you know this kind of thing can't happen. Therefore, the story has just got to be some kind of symbolism. It didn't really happen that way. So how do we approach this? At Highlands Church, we believe and teach in biblical literalism. Now, what does that mean? The problem is most people don't understand what biblical literalism means. That's a school of theology that that resists the temptation to spiritualize everything. It tries to minimize the miraculous and things like that. But biblical literalism would tell us that you give the text its plain, ordinary meaning. The the Bible is filled with writing, there there are parables, there are metaphors, there's symbolic writing. So, you know, the Psalms are worship groups. There's even an opera, Song of Solomon is essentially uh, an opera. And, and, And studying to show ourselves a worker approved to God as, you know, as, as, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly dividing the word, we look always at the context. So when Jesus says, for example, if your right eye is a source of sin, what does he say to do? Gouge it out. It's better off entering heaven. Okay, he's not literally advocating tearing out our eyes that we'd all have been like this a long time ago. What he's saying is he's using a a colorful, powerful Middle Eastern expression that communicated this to the hearers. It's a shocking kind of thing. It communicates this. Deal radically with sin in your life. Don't take it lightly. So applying rules of biblical literalism, if, if the Bible presents a narrative, we accept it as a narrative. And Jonah clearly presents as a narrative. Now, some people say, yeah, but how could that be? It just can't, it's interesting. I've had conversations even with Christians on this. They say, well, it just can't have been that way. And I'll say, well, do you believe that God created everything? I mean, the whole universe, between 500 billion and a trillion galaxies, each galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars. Well, yeah. Did God part the Red Sea? Did Jesus open blind eyes and raise Lazarus from the dead after four days? Yeah, I believe that. So what about Jonah being in a, in a great fish? <laughs> Can't happen, it doesn't. Uh, you just, if I was back in New York, we would answer that with an expression. I'll do an exaggerated form of it. We wouldn't even use words, we'd go like this. That means like, wait, the laughter you hear is from people who are from back east, they, they get that look. See, we, we never discount what the Bible says just because 
it's supernatural. We, we are dealing with an omnipotent God who can, who can do anything that he desires to do. And, and not only that, even I think so importantly, Jesus affirms this as a real actual event. In Matthew 14, 20, this is what Jesus said. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. And, and the account says he was in the belly. That's a kind of a nice um, way to put it. The Hebrew would be something like this, the guts. Anybody here like the fish? I like the fish, you know. I don't care for, I remember I had conversations with my wife. I'll go catch the fish, I'll bring them home. You clean them, we'll eat. And my wife finally got to saying, you're gonna really enjoy cleaning those fish that you're, you know, catching. Because cleaning fish, Monty, right, is like, Messy. That's what Jonah's inside, something like the guts of the fish. But now this is really important because Jesus identifies this as an important sign. There's what we would call a typology. And typology simply means there's a picture of something that's a type of what's going to happen in the New Testament. And the context of that from Matthew gospel is the Pharisees and leaders come to him and they're, they're, they're already, they've already turned against him. And they say, show us a sign if you're the Messiah, show us a sign. And Jesus says, this wicked and adulterous generation wants a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was three days and nights of it. So he's giving a picture. There was something about what Jonah went through that was a picture that was going to show more fully who he was or is and what his ministry is about. There are even some Bible scholars who believe that Jonah died in the fish and was perhaps resurrected three days later. We can't know for sure. The account doesn't, does not make that clear, but People who believe that would say, well, how was Jesus three days and nights in, you know, in the heart of the earth? He was there dead. And also there's language that Jonah uses, we'll see as we get into the prayer, there's language he uses that is associated with death. Like he'll refer to Sheol. Sheol in the Hebrew, sometimes it gets translated hell, which is unfortunate. The meaning of Sheol is more like grave, the pit, death. And he has imagery that sounds somewhat like that. And by the way, that maybe is a way to answer a skeptic who, you know, well, Jonah may not have been, he may have been dead in the fish and God may have resurrected him. And for some reason that satisfies some people. Okay, point one, this great fish, I'll just call it a fish from now on, whatever it was, um, was God's provision. It was God's provision. You see, when Jonah got thrown in the water, he thought his life was over. He assumed that he was dead. And, and it can be a terrifying experience. When I was young, like a teenager, I one time was swimming in an ocean beach and they warned that there was a strong you know, undertow and there were large waves. I went out further than I should have. And I was a good swimmer, I had a lifeguard certification. And I went out and suddenly I was getting pulled under this large wave. The next thing I know I'm like tumbling and I'm under the water and it, it was really frightening. Um, I couldn't get oriented, I didn't know which end was up. You don't even know which way to swim. 
And I finally kind of looked and I could see it was kind of lighter up here and I kind of pushed my way up. And even then I had to fight this kind of undertow and get in. I think Jonah may have had some kind of experience like that. And when this fish comes along, he welcomes it because it's not only God's provision, it's God's provision in the face of his rebellion. Will God provide for us while we are rebelling against him? Wow, yes, I I mean, I've seen that, I've lived that. Jonah was just glad to be in there because it saves his life initially. He's not out there in the water. I initially wanted to call this point uh, something like prayers with seaweed wrapped around your head. I love that image, you know, it just kind of so represents it. Now, Jonah is in this place. The water was dark. When he gets inside the fish, it's even darker. This is the kind of cruise you don't want to take. You can't go overeat at the buffet. You can't even walk around on the deck or you don't catch an act. You're just in there. There's not much else to do beside praying. When we get in those dark places, sometimes we experience the consequences of what we've done. God forgives us, God will work in our lives. I knew and and would meet with a lot of people in prison and a good number of them became believers. I knew people who got free of their you know, drug or uh, addiction, or, you know, they dealt with issues, they became Christian. Some of them got out of prison and became ministers. I saw a few cases where somebody was miraculously released early from prison. But most of the time, if they were sentenced to three to five years, they were in there, they did the time. They knew they were forgiven, in some cases they got right with God. But it didn't necessarily remove the consequences of what they had done, some of their choices. I can see now some of the worst messes in my life. Some happen and and it's not because you've disobeyed God, Um, but I can think of messes in my life that happened because I willfully was disobeying God. And look, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, this is everybody. This is every pastor on staff. This is all of us. There are times that we know that we simply do not obey what we know God wants us to do. And again, just to be clear, not every problem that comes, comes from our disobedience. You know, the book of Job about his suffering and the whole thing with Satan and all that is, you know, just a very clear exposition on that. But there were those times, you know, that we, that we know and yet when we come to God, what we find is, you know, his promise, he says to the prophets, I'll make the crooked place straight. You know, I'll restore what the locust and the canker worm have eaten, he said to Israel, when their crops were destroyed. Um, if, if you're in a situation like that, we have a tendency to want to do, go through those things alone. I found in my own experience that when there were those times, I I was ashamed. I didn't particularly want to go to anybody. If that's a situation and you feel like you're struggling, God doesn't want you to be in that. I would invite you, call me, come by, you know, I always do this and people think, oh, you're so busy. I'm more like the Maytag repairman. I'm kind of waiting there for people to call, you know, (laughs) the sort of thing. Any of the pastors, if you have a relationship with any of the pastors or elders, 
Don't walk through that alone. Reach out and everybody, believe me, everybody understands this, everybody gets it. This is the, this is the, the, the common human experience. It's why God saves sinners. How did Jonah pray? I'm gonna read the prayer to you. Don't follow along in your Bible. Just kind of listen to it and catch the flow of it. I'm just going to stop in two places in the prayer at verse seven, because that's, that's, a, that's a key point. But just sort of listen to it, hear it, and you'll hear some of the imagery that kind of sounds like that. Here's Jonah's prayer, and this is most of chapter two. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. There's the imagery of death. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. That was probably his lowest point. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Again, that's a kind of a death imagery. Yet you brought me up, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Here's verse seven. This is, to me is the key. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Let me say that again. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What do they miss? They miss the hope of steadfast love. He can't take his eyes off of you. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And he ends, the text is kind of like emphatic. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's almost like you could picture him yelling it. And this leads us to point two. This prayer of Jonah, it came from his heart. Let's look at why. To a Hebrew listener, this prayer presents itself as a psalm. A Hebrew hearer would have associated this with a psalm. It had the elements of a psalm of thanksgiving, and there's a lot of them. David wrote quite a few of them. It had these components, an introduction, a reciting of past distress, the Lord answers the cry for help, and then there's an acknowledgement of God's gracious provision. Now here's what's interesting about what he does. None of the words are original to Jonah. Everything that he says in that prayer comes from the Psalms. There are multiple references. We'll put up a slide for you to see that. And these are just some of the references. I could have actually packed this with even more Psalms. So what does that tell us? That tells us that Jonah had the Hebrew hymn book stored inside his heart. He was ready to access what was stored in his heart in the lowest point of his life, probably. 
and he assembles his own psalm. He takes parts of different ones and he fits them together to, to make them the situation that he is experiencing. See, he was able to access what he had stored up. The storing up in our heart comes before the trial, before the time of need. You know, training takes place before the competition. Uh, preparation takes place before the battle. Imagine if I'm, you know, an Israelite soldier and I'm getting ready to fight Philistines and my armor's not quite on. Wait, before we start, just get that clip in the back for me, would you there? Yeah, okay, we'll have a fair fight that way. All right, how would that work out? Not so well. You have to be prepared for that battle beforehand because we face these times with the storehouse of what we have put in. See, this is why Pastor Thomas wanted to you know, bring us get in the word. And if you're in that, wonderful. How many of you are in that? Let me just see a show of hands. Wow, if you're not, think about, really pray about getting into this. And the key is not just to know the Bible, but to marry that knowledge to faith and submission of our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Jonah not only knew the word, he knew how to apply the word in that situation. The word became life. And uh, again, in the time of testing, that was there for him. But I think that there's more going on in the story than we see. Yes, Jonah's giving thanksgiving, but here's our third, our final point, and that's this. God was provoked by Jonah's disobedience. Why am I making this a point? I think this is something we have to understand. It's wonderful to talk about God's love and mercy. He's available all the time when we go to him for forgiveness. But we don't want to minimize sin either. Jesus, remember, if your right eye is a source of sin, God wants us to deal radically with sin in our lives and not ignore it and just kind of look the other way or sort of pretend it doesn't exist. See, how does Jonah leave the fish? The last verse of chapter two says this, he was vomited out on dry land. I thought, that's interesting. Let me see what the Hebrew word is. And guess what the Hebrew word is? The Hebrew word is vomit. He got puked out on dry land. I'll spare you the colorful modern colloquialisms here. And this is a thing I discovered as I poked around. Vomit is never good in the Bible. Anytime you see it, there's something bad going on. Here's an example. The same word that's used there is used in Leviticus chapter 18, where God is giving a warning to the nation of Israel. And he says to them, keep my laws, keep my commandments, obey me. And he warns them that if they disobey him, if they walk contrary to his ways and the law that he's shown them, he says this in verse 28 of that chapter, that the land will vomit you out when you make it unclean. Vomit like will forcibly eject you the same way it vomited out the nations who went there before you. You even see it in the New Testament in Revelation chapter three, verse 16, Jesus says this to the church of Laodicea. He says, because, you know, I, I want you to be hot or cold. Be, because you're lukewarm and you're neither hot nor cold, I will 
The Greek word is vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. As if to say, that disgusts me. So maybe there's something in the way that Jonah leaves that gives us you know, another dimension of insight in the story. How, how could Jonah have left that big old fish? Did God have other ways he could have done it? Well, certainly, you know, I think of the story in Acts chapter eight, there's a, you know, an Ethiopian eunuch who meets Philip and, uh, and, and shares the gospel and, and he ends up getting baptized. And when the Ethiopian comes out from the water, Philip's gone. He's, he's uh, you know, it says the spirit just transported him somewhere. That happened with Elijah. It happened with Enoch. God could have just whisked him out and put him at the gate of Nineveh. Or he could have beached the thing and split it in half. You know, there's plenty of ways maybe to get out. That's not how he leaves. Maybe the departure is designed to teach him something about willfully disobeying God. He comes out with all the ripeness and the smell. Some commentators think he may have been bleached like very white from the acids in the stomach. He might have been quite a sight when he showed up to Nineveh. He might have been scary looking or something. So he gets thrown, he gets vomited out onto dry land. We're not told where he is. Some people assume he's at Nineveh. I don't think that's the case. It wouldn't make sense to me. Because remember, he goes across the Mediterranean. He ends up in the water somewhere in there and this big old fish brings him back as far as there's water. He, he probably is close to where he left. He might have even been in the same place he was when he first ran from God. I've found this experience in my life. The times that I've, you know, the years I walked through, the times that I disobeyed God, um, and then I cried out to God and I knew he forgave me. Very, most of the time I ended up back at the first place and I still had to walk through the thing that he intended me to go through. I didn't get an advantage from doing that. You know, I don't think he got the advantage. I don't think he was vomited 375 miles off to um, Nineveh. And, um, I, and I think that, th you know, this is just a very important concept. This is the thing I want to emphasize from this. It was the times that I disobeyed God. Um, I, I tried to run and hide from him. Here's the paradox. The kingdom of God is paradoxical. When you think you're strong, you're weak. When you're weak in Christ, he's strong in you. The last will be first and so on. The paradox I found is this. It was in times of disobedience where I knew I was doing something wrong that I had the most profound sense of God's love for me. And that's because those are the times that we don't feel worthy. My experience of it was always something like this. When I was going through something like that, I, I didn't particularly want to see God. I would kind of avoid it. I didn't want to pray. I felt like I'm not even really worthy to come into your presence. I was you know, kind of like, like this. Maybe a few days later, I'd, you know, are we okay yet? You know, sort of. But the human tendency is to want to hide from God. This is not new. It goes back to Adam and Eve when they're in the garden and they disobey God. They try to cover their sin with fig leaves. And what do they do? They try to hide. 
Maybe if we get behind this really big tree over here, he won't see us. All right, so how foolish is that kind of thinking? Um, Jonah confessed, or Jonah had a prayer of thanksgiving for being released, but he was part of the way there. He repented, he was now willing to go, but there was something more happening. One commentator said this way, the prayer ignores the central issue between God and Jonah. He's now willing to obey, but he does not yet have God's heart. Jonah reminds me of the the parable of the prodigal son kind of all rolled into one. It's a wonderful picture of what's happening here. First you have the prodigal. He goes to his father, he breaks his father's heart. The father, of course, in the parable is a picture of God. And he takes his inheritance, he goes, he wastes it all when he runs out of his money. His good friends leave him. And then he's there in the pig pen one day. And I love the way Jesus says it. He he puts it this way. And when he came to himself, something happened. There was a moment, it clicked. This is the Jonah experience in in verse seven. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And so the prodigal wants to come home and he says, I'm not worthy to get in front of my father. He felt the shame, the embarrassment of what he had done. And he goes home and he says, I'm going to tell my father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just making me one of your servants. At least I can get food and maybe, you know, a nice place to sleep or something like that. He doesn't know that the father is there watching every day, waiting for him. And when he shows up, you know what? The father actually races to him, actually runs to him and receives him and has a celebration. Um, all wonderful, not expected, you know. And when he receives him, does he receive his son back as a servant? No. Those of you who know the account, when he receives him, how does he receive him back? As a, as a son, as a son. So there's a little part of Jonah in that, but there's another part of Jonah in the older brother. The older brother's been obeying the father, keeping all the rules, doing everything the right way. And he sees it, and it's easy to understand this. Boy, I mean, if I'm the older brother, I might have been feeling this as well. He goes away, blows all the inheritance, lives like a, like a dog. He comes back and you have a party. I've been here working for you. You never had a party for me. He doesn't want to go in and be part of the celebration. And the father says to him, you've missed what's happening here. You've always been with me. But this, my son, was dead. Now he's alive again. It's right that we celebrate. I'm going to invite the worship group back up now. Um, Jonah understands God's righteous judgment, but he does not yet have the heart of God for why he's going on this mission. We're going to hear more about that in the weeks to come. Next week, Pastor Brendan will bring us into the city of Nineveh and what happens. In the final week, Pastor um, Kevin Yule will really get down to the heart of God and what has happened here. See, God is, is present in our darkest places, including the ones that we bring on ourselves. It's good to get back and obey God and start following the rules. But if we follow the rules, and that's our focus, 
and we don't get the love of a father's heart, and it becomes about just obeying rules, we're on the road to becoming Pharisees. It's got to be that what we're doing is because the love of the Father is so much in us that it breaks our heart to disobey him. I'm just going to close with this story and then I'll be back right afterward. Um, back when I was in another life, when I was practicing law, I had a case once and uh, an attorney brought a lawsuit against a ministry that I was representing. It was a ministry that helped young kids who were troubled, a wonderful ministry. And I tried to talk to the lawyer. I didn't really think it was much of a case. And he was a really difficult guy. I mean, he was like insulting and, and he keeps going on. I'm gonna destroy this ministry. They're gonna pay millions of dollars. I, I'm wondering what planet, I, don't, I just don't see it. And every time I tried to talk, it was always this anger, you know, this kind of venom. Well, long story short, the case goes up on appeal and it's essentially dismissed. And I'm feeling pretty good about that. Well, a little after that, I look in a source where they list the names of attorneys who are being, you know, disbarred or suspended. And there's his name, he's being disbarred. Now, I, I'm ashamed to admit what my first response was. My, my first response was, this guy was a pain. I, I'm thinking the wheel turns slowly, but it grinds fine. <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. That, that's where I was at. And then after that, I, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. We should never be rejoicing in anyone's misfortune. And then I felt like I should call him. Honestly, I didn't want to. I picked up the phone then and I called him. And uh, he answered the phone and uh, he said, like, what do you want? And I said, I, I saw your name on the list there. I see that you're you know, losing your license. He said, yeah, and you're calling the gloat, right? Well, that was his world. That was his understanding of life. That's why people would be calling. I said, no, no, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. I'm calling because I thought you might need a friend or someone to talk to. It's gotta be an unbelievably dark time for you. He got real quiet. And then he said, um, I want you to know, and his voice started breaking a little. My wife is leaving me. I don't have anything, I'm broke. I don't have a friend in the world. I don't have anybody who even cares about me. He said, well, this is what that ministry you were suing is about. God reaches to find people in the darkest times. Sometimes that's when we're open to receive and to hear what he's about. And so I just want you to know God loves you. If there's ever anything I can do for you, if we could meet and talk and, and he started crying and he just said, thank you. And he, he couldn't even finish the conversation. He had to stop it. And I hung up the phone and I thought, if I had been the jerk that I was in my first reaction, how is God, who is God going to use to reach somebody like this? The people who are the least likely, the people we have most difficulty with, are maybe exactly the people God wants you to reach out to. Think in your mind, is there someone, even that one? Probably, especially that one.
Maybe you're here today, maybe you're a visitor, maybe you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've heard something and it tugged in your heart and you're thinking, I'd like that. I'd like new life in Christ. If that's the case, we have a prayer team up here. I'll be up front. Other pastors will be around. I would just encourage you come up or stop at Info Central. And more than that, if you're going through that time, that difficult time, don't do it alone. Your heavenly father is like the father of the prodigal there on the hill waiting. And when he sees you coming towards him, he doesn't walk towards you. He runs towards you. He can't wait to pour his love out on you, um, when you when your heart is ready to repent. If that's the case and you'd like prayer or maybe it's just a difficult time for something else, or you feel like praying with somebody, please I'd encourage you, come on up, do that, let us pray with you. And again, you're always free to contact any one of us, the pastors. We're always happy to meet with you to help you walk through whatever is happening. Thanks Highlands, blessings to you, love one another and go in peace.